Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. When you drive through a city, how much thought do you give to why things are where they are? Why is this park here? Why do the sidewalks look the way they look? Well, all of that is done for a reason. Somebody or a group of somebodies planned all of that. And right now, those somebodies are planning what your city will look like over the next few decades. This week on the show, we talk to one of those people, Eric Myers. When you see something built, whether it be a street, um, a reconstructed street, uh, even a repainted street, that has happened through quite a quite a bit of um, regulatory oversight, but also just deliberative conversation about what's best for our city. This is Tomorrowtown, Tennessee. This is the podcast telling the stories of the people who call the Tennessee Valley home. We examine the problems all of us face every day, and we talk to the people working on solutions. I'm Josh Rowe. I'll be your host for this journey. Today, we talk to Eric Myers. He is the executive director of the Chattanooga Design Studio. We talk about urban design, which is the art of creating cities, more or less, from deciding what the building should look like and molding the spaces that surround all of those buildings. Well, Eric is one of the people making decisions about how parts of Chattanooga will look for the next several decades. Here is my conversation with Eric Myers. Boy, what you guys do is really interesting, and we'll get into some of the nuts and bolts of that uh, in, in, in this conversation. But I want people to, if people clicked on this and they're thinking, well, I don't know who Eric is, uh, tell us a little bit about your background and how you got to this point. Thank you, Josh. First of all, um, I'm originally from Maryland, and I moved to the Chattanooga area through uh, the, Chattanooga, the former Chattanooga Design Studio, which was an outpost of the University of Tennessee in Knoxville. I'm an architect. And I went to the University of Tennessee in the mid '90s, mm -hmm. and um, in a study abroad program, learned urban design here in Chattanooga. And so, I've, I've been around in different cities in Tennessee, and um, ultimately made my way back here in, um, in about 2000, 1999 is, is the exact date, um, and worked for that studio um, during the 21st century waterfront era. Um, saw a lot of big bold changes in our downtown during that time period, and. Um, have two kids, and my wife teaches. She's a she's a um, an art instructor for Hampton County Education, and we live in North Chattanooga and have for 20 years now. And um, we absolutely love this city, and there's there's no other place like it. And so, um, yeah, I love what I do too. Um, I feel really fortunate to have found a passion where I, I don't really feel like what I do for a living is work. There's a lot to love about the city, and and doing what you do, you 
get a say so in how, in some level anyway, how things kind of come together and some major projects. And we'll talk about some of the projects, you know, that you're working on um, uh, here later in, in this conversation. But I don't think people quite understand. I know I didn't understand. Let me just say me. I, I didn't understand how much, um, if you see something being built, if you see a crane downtown, if you see a, a grocery store go up, like how how that process actually works. Someone didn't just buy a lot of, of land and build a thing. There's a lot more that goes into it than that. Can you explain some of that of, you know, how much uh, conversation that there is and, and how much uh, planning there is around when you see something new downtown? I mean, a lot of places, not just downtown, you know, beyond downtown, but, 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 but specifically, you know, around our downtown, that's, that's really kind of what we're focusing on. So, so yeah, just, just, your, just how much goes into that? Quite a bit. And it's, it's wonderful to think that, you know, the built environment it just doesn't happen just like the weather. Mm -hmm. um, it happens through very intentional conversations. It should happen through intentional conversations. It should happen through ex uh, extreme collaboration um, and really um, intentional collaboration between lots of different professionals, whether they be engineers, contractors, developers, um, city officials, so on and so forth. Um, and so when you see th something built, whether it be a street, um, a reconstructed street, uh, even a repainted street, that has happened through quite a quite a bit of um, regulatory oversight, but also just deliberative conversation about what's best for our city. Um, and I, I feel really fortunate what I do, and really thankful um, that I can utilize my gifts in helping inspire those changes to be highly effective and collaborative in their nature. Yeah, for people who don't understand the term urban design, can you kind of put a, a fine point on that and kind of like what exactly you're trying to do? I like to look at it as first and foremost, people centered. Um, no matter whether you're driving a car or riding in transit, you're going to wind up being outside of your car, outside of transit. You're going to wind up being a, a, a person that finds themselves in, in what we call the public realm. And so I think of what uh, our design processes do is optimization, really. We, we try to optimize from building front to building front. We call that the public realm. That's, that's all of that city surface and city, city environment that we all share. We should think of them as rooms. We should think of those places as, as living environments for us. And um, the more we optimize them for the betterment of movement or staying or um, our own enjoyment and in, in nature, um, the better we are. And the more we optimize, the more voices that go into that as well, how that's shaped, uh, the better we are as well. The cities that we all love or point to in, in Europe, um, the cities that are thousands of years old happen in that manner. They happen through this thing of civic art. You might think of urban design as civic art. Yeah, I think it's an interesting way to think about it because you're, you're right. When you think about the cities that you love, like why do you love that city? Why do you love visiting that place? And, and what, what, what went into making it that way? And, and yeah, there's, there's always, yeah, it didn't just happen. I can tell by the way that like the lights in your eyes when you talk about this. This is something that that I mean I know you you've, you've lived it for a long time, but it's something that you really uh, you know talking about it excites you. It's very exciting, and it's exciting to think about how that can affect people's quality of life too. Mm. Um, you know, for something as simple as a street tree, for instance, can lower the ambient temperature of the street environment where you're walking, um, whether you're walking to get a cup of coffee or you're experiencing uh, the place on, on foot for some other reason. Um, 
so it really can affect our quality of life, um, thinking about these, these environments and um, the public realm in its totality, right. not just for one use. Right. I know I went to a presentation recently where you talked about some of the, uh, the projects you're working on, um, I guess, currently and some, some forward-looking things as well. Uh, let's start with this. I know West Side Evolves is, is, is one that's, that's, that's gotten some, some uh, yeah, attention in, in the news, uh, obviously, and, and, and combined with that Ben project kind of gets talked about together, but this is a separate project. Tell me how that started. Okay. It started really uh, from a question from the Chattanooga Housing Authority to help um, the neighborhood known as College Hill Courts, which is the oldest public housing neighborhood in our community, um, to figure out a way forward from an extremely distressed housing asset. So the Housing Authority, as the owner and maintainer of the public housing in our community and, um, and the developer of affordable housing, approached us and asked if we might help with a neighborhood plan that could help right. um, position the residents and the neighborhood for a better future. And so our immediate response was that the College Hill Courts area, which is 496 um, family units, um, really relies on the success of the surrounding neighborhood, which is about 150 acres of between Main Street and ML King and Riverfront Parkway and the Interstate 27 area. Um, and so we launched on that larger plan, which is about a total of 1,500 family units in that footprint. And most all of them are um, in a, a lower income bracket or a lower income um, family unit standard, um, subsidized or some, in some manner, shape or form. Um, and so helping the housing authority, helping that neighborhood really envision a transformative future for the neighborhood, that's a really um, um, where, the, where that project started. Right, right. I remember when the Bend project was announced and it was talked and the, the, the TIF uh, conversation happened in city council. There was a lot of heated rhetoric around that. What I think is interesting, you see that moment, it's kind of a flashpoint in, in, in time, right, that that when you guys were starting this project, it, it, it took you a long time to get here. And it's going to take you a long time to, to get to the finish point. Like, it's not about, you know, this one moment. Like, no, this, this, is, this is a big part of your life over a period of time. You guys did, I forget the period of time, but, but you went in and you asked residents, like, what do you want here? What, what do you, it's not just people in a room making decisions. Like, you went to the people who live there and said, what do you want? Can you explain that process? Absolutely. So we started in um, 2020. We formed a community advisory committee. It's about 25 folks. Um, people that lived in the community prior to and people that lived in the uh, community currently and city um, CHA representatives, um, area service providers. So that's who made up that committee. We met every single month, even during the pandemic on Zoom. Um, that committee helped guide this process and helped really inform us and give us input into where the, where the process should uh, be involved and who it should involve. Um, we were really fortunate um, when we propped up a survey that was quite extensive that went into family life, education, uh, where do you shop, where do you get your groceries, um, what are some of the housing challenges that you face, um, and what's your health, and what, what are your unmet health needs. Mm -hmm. It's really extensive about the conditions of the families of the, and um, current conditions and what, what families could be facing. Um, 
took it took individuals about 30 minutes to complete that tells you how long that is um but we were proud that we had a, a wonderful um resident team that was paid to go stand on porches with tablets and do this safely so mask up with a tablet right and ask their neighbors all of the questions on that survey right. we had, started in 2020 you're at the heart of the pandemic the heart of the pandemic yeah um tech goes home offered us uh each one of our resident team members a tablet mm -hmm. so that all of that could be done digitally and safely. And without that, we wouldn't have gotten 80% participation at, at College Hill Courts. So we wouldn't have gotten the participation that we got. Um, hundreds and hundreds of surveys about, and it, and it really helped level set and paint a good picture for um, the conversations that then needed to happen. So we had workshops that were hybrid, virtual, because um, you remember once we started gathering, we kind of limited the group sizes. And so we had groups of anywhere from 20 to 50, most of whom uh, were Zooming in uh, to those meetings and large rooms spaced six feet apart. Um, and so it's very challenging to do that work um, in, in the environment in which we were doing it. But I'm very proud of the residents. that They stayed involved. Um, they were very truthful about what they wanted to see. And that's where, that's where we're acting right now. And some very simple things really um, restore the James A. Henry School um, to its former glory. Um, find a way to um, jumpstart early childhood education in the community and adult education in the community. Renovate the Sheila Jennings Park um, as an asset and a community um, gathering spot. And um, it, it, it seems really simple, but that's what we heard over and over again from the residents. Um, and that's where we're acting right now, first and foremost. And that's how the TIF fits into this now, is the TIF and the TIF financing. Right. The revenue generated from Riverfront um, development right next door can really go into the West Side community and change lives in that way and those investing in those public spaces like that. Remind us if if people are listening to this and they've not seen the plans, where can they go to, to, to see like what you're trying to do? Most of all of is uh, on one West Side Chattanooga. The deep dive into um, the West Side plan that was adopted by council last year is at westsideofalls.com. So it's um, all spelled out, all push, all scrushed together. No um, dot. It's westsideofalls.com. <laughs> yeah, I love the fact, right? And I think this is important, right? When you talk about architects or or people who are planning a park or or what whatever that project is, it's not about buildings and trees. You're starting with people who are going to live there. What do you want out of this? What would make you happy to in a, an environment you would want to live in? I mean, that, I think when it when it starts there, uh, I think that uh, you can. Uh, you know, moving forward, when you start getting a little bit of pushback, you at least have some, well, no, 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 we, we went through the processes. We, we actually talked to people. This is, this is what we learned. Right. Yeah. Right. And residents are still um, very fired up over this. Um, we, we had, uh, we've had several um, feedback sessions about the James A. Henry school process, which is a design process that's happening currently. And so um, residents are still involved and still being asked questions about um, what do you see? Is this is this meeting your needs? Um, what what else do you want to see here? Um, and so it's still there's still conversations going on about the future, and I, I don't see that stopping anytime soon. I, even as the um, the new housing is being planned, I think uh, residents will be involved. There's going to be a lot of input and a lot of dialogue. So with that input, do you when you have a a, a session, um, say a you know, a, a public meeting to talk about ideas. Do you get a lot of, of involvement? Do you get people showing up? You know, I, I, I understand that sometimes reaching the right people can be difficult. Uh, t tell me about that process as far as, as, as getting the, the people in the room that you really need to hear from. It's been, it's been very challenging, and I'll say that we've learned a lot about the time of day and showing up where people are. Yeah. Um, 
if if you have a working family and they live in the west side they probably more have more than one job and so they don't have a lot of time to commit elsewhere and so asking them to come to your meeting that's pre prescribed at your time that you think it's going to fit everybody's uh, schedule really doesn't work so we have to work a lot with uh, resident councils we have to work to get the um the word out and we have to be available on saturdays during my family time sometimes right. and so um that's just what you do and that's that's what it means to be committed it's what it means to be intentional and to show up with ears to hear um, from people and listen and then make action from that yeah tell me the timeline again you said you started around 2000 is that right we started um in early 2000 um and then the plan was adopted last year and so yeah. it's and so it's when taken two years really of and what's what's the what's the end date uh, goal? When everything's completed? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, really over a decade. Right, um, right. The plan outlines and um, the housing developer that has um, formed uh, um, an early partnership with the housing authority at least plans on eight phases of housing. Mm -hmm. So, um, hundred to two hundred units each phase um, of new housing being built, and so you can kind of hear and. If you know phases, 18 months is nothing for a phase of housing to actually get constructed and opened and and, um, and accept new tenants. And so, yeah, it'll be decades. Um, me, and it, it should. It should take decades. <laughs> tell me about, about that process for you personally, right? When you, when you choose a project that you're, okay, we're going to invest our time and energy into this, you know it's going to be, a, I mean, 12 years of your life is, that's a, that's a significant part of your, of your life to be focused on this project. You have to be very intentional and thoughtful in the things that you take, take on and, and why you take those on. What do you think about when you take on a project as far as like what, what, it, what you need to have involved in there before you decide, okay, I'll commit to the next 10 years of thinking about this thing? Well, we have a belief at the studio that our work has to have generational care. And it's sort of, it's sort of difficult to see that in the, the timeline of a project that might go for three months have the checkbox, you know, um, however many meetings that you had, you've checked that all off and then it goes and gets constructed for the next year and a half. How did you really see generational change? How did you really see that as incremental building? Again, let's talk about the cities that we all love. They've, they've been built incrementally over thousands of years. Um, and so how, how could you, how do we see ourselves in a process that's much more incremental um, that's much more long-term. I will say this, our, our role has changed. Um, we did have a very lead role in the planning process and it was taking quite a bit of our staff capacity. We're, in, we're sort of a backseat role now. The housing authority in the city of Chattanooga um, and the housing developer are taking a lead role. Um, and so they're spending quite a bit of the time investment at this point in time. We're still in a supportive role. We sure. still, um, there's a lot of design need to be met um, as we heard through all of that planning process. And so, um, but yeah, I think uh, it's one reason why when we were asked to be involved that our board had a very, very serious discussion. We had we actually had two or three discussions about, uh, about whether we do this or not. And I feel like it met our board's but for kind of tests. Mm -hmm. But for us not being involved, uh, what might happen? Um, would the property just be sold? Would the housing authority really, I mean, really truthfully, how many other ways could this have gone if we would have not partnered and right. been a good partner and an ally to the housing authority and the residents to do better for everyone there? Yeah. And with, with that, too, like you said, like there are parts of it that you're very involved in in certain parts and then you kind of pass it on. You know, 
you also have to be very trusting your partners to that, that you're going to take this thing that you put your heart and soul into that you're going to, you know, uh, you know, shepherd that and with with care in the same way. That's right. I, I can't say enough about Betsy McCride as a leader of the Housing Authority. She's she's um, a wonderful inspiration of a leader, and um, it's her job is not easy at all. Right. And she makes it look very easy. And she 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 approaches every bit of her work with deepest compassion. And I think that means a lot. It means a lot to the residents when they see that, and they can see the Housing Authority standing up and like meaning that. We're going to meet um, this plan. We're going to we're going to act on this plan. And um, yeah, I, the the partnership um, part of our work is similarly important. It yeah. really is um, because it's it, we're in for a long, long. Sure, sure. And on top of that, right? Uh, you talk about twenty twenty to now. There there have been a, a city mayor election, county mayor election. There will be more before this is over, right? So you get different different mayoral administrations through this that that could have different thoughts. That's right. <laughs> I mean that, that that's a lot to kind of na- navigate, you know, from one standpoint, not knowing who might be involved by the end of it. It is, it is. I, I think um, good planning, no matter really um, what city administration there is, it's recognizable. It's yeah. it's really recognizable, and especially when. Um, when you've involved as many people as we have and, and reached out to as many voices involved in the process, I think it just means a lot. Yeah. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. One of the other projects you talked about at that presentation was, was the South Broad Street project, which I haven't... I didn't know a whole lot about it until I went to that to that meeting. Um, that that's an interesting uh, idea as as well. Can you explain some of your thoughts on on that and kind of where where you are with the planning around that idea? South Broad or Broad yeah. Street? Uh, Broad Street, the Broad the Broad Street reimagined. Broad Street, yeah. Broad Street's a um, an interesting um, piece of the public realm of our downtown because it it is the widest street that we have. In our downtown, it's 125 feet from building face to building face, yeah. and so when you when you look at it that way, it's the it's the largest opportunity for this optimization thing that I'm talking about. Like how do we how do we balance all of those space needs for whether it be outdoor dining or um, uh, multimodal transportation like biking and, and running and walking and um, and and cars, right. um, both being parked and moving cars. Um, it seems like it's a logical fit when you look at it in that hand and its placement is very central to our downtown mm-hmm. that it could accommodate so many needs and we could elevate its presence to a much more park-like street. You might think of it as a park with a street in it 
Right. Um, and so that's that's where kind of where this notion came from. Again, involving the public, we found out that the public wants it actually to be greener and safer and livelier. And so by those three tenants, we're going to try to configuration change to the street um, that meets engineering standards. We're not going to do anything that creates um, an unsafe condition for, for the public. Um, but how do we how do we how do we promote a much more park like place? Yeah. Well, tell me about the, the, the beginning, the origin of, of that project, because it's one of those things of like, OK, how does someone decide, OK, we have this major street through downtown and we need to do something else with with that. Tell me how that started. It's funny. It came from one of our primary partners, um, the River City Company, who was also doing a planning process in the middle of the pandemic called the One Riverfront uh, Strategy. And out of the One Riverfront Strategy, during one of the public meetings, a couple of people that came to the meeting said, hey, this is wonderful to talk about reimagining the riverfront, but how can we connect our downtown? It's so important to, to connect our downtown to the riverfront and to connect everyone that's working downtown, playing downtown, living downtown to the riverfront. And so um, this notion of Broad Street as a very, very important connector to the riverfront area, to the aquarium and to um, the riverfront came out of that that study. Yeah. And um, we just, we really elevated the idea as a major public realm connector from from Aquarium Way all the way to ML King. And so, so where does that project stand now? Where, where, where are you on that as far as that goes? It's like timelines. We did. Uh, so if you remember, um, it, we've had some surveys mm-hmm. about the configuration options mm-hmm. uh, from broader sidewalks to a promenade street um, to um, the median, uh, the wider median street. Um, and um, we've got a lot of feedback about the results. I will say the results are mixed. Uh, everybody loves sort of the promenade type street or the, um, the, the, um, the broader median street. Uh, we've taken all of those scenarios into engineering modeling that looks at the traffic analysis. What are the, uh, the intersection configurations and right. sees, sees conflicts there as far as uh, vehicular movements go. Um, and we're, we're at that final recommendation stage where we need to load those configurations in. I will say that it looks like um, that's very doable to have a promenade type street closer to the aquarium where you might see market type stalls in the center of the street in a very, very wide median like La Ramblas in Spain. And, um, and then another configuration that where you might see closer to ML King where you might have broader sidewalks that are much deeper sidewalks where outdoor dining and dining al fresco is, is very, very prominent on that end of the street. And we would save those beautiful willow oak street trees in that part of the street. Yeah. If, if someone does want to uh, give their opinion on that, is there a place where that's still open to, to, to do that? I think we have closed the survey, if I remember right, because we're, we're, we're now at the place where the configurations are being studied mm-hmm. in, in the engineering study. We're about to launch out with the final recommendations based on that engineering traffic management study. Um, and then it's a matter of um, doing what we do best, working with the River City Company and our partners to, to um, find a funding strategy that makes makes um, the design implementable. One thing that I thought was interesting in the meeting that we, that we, we, were, that we had there was when you talked about traffic uh, in Market Street and the, and the differences, we think of, of Market and Broad Street almost interchangeably some ways because they're a block apart and they're right in the middle of the town. But traffic on Market Street, even middle of the day, is much heavier than it would be on Broad Street any time of the day. Is that, I mean, can you explain that just kind of like just we must think about actually what actually happens on specific streets, not just the, the busyness of, oh, I was downtown that day and I couldn't find a parking spot. So downtown's busy in the middle of the day. Well, parts of it are, 
parts of it aren't as much. You're 100% right. So the Market Street has a throughput from North Georgia to North Chattanooga, and um, and it really plays a multimodal role in our community. And each street really does have its own unique role. Um, and that's what makes downtowns, that's what makes cities um, really, really interesting and, and wonderful places. Because if every street was trying to do the same thing, um, it, you wouldn't have as much of a lively street. And so that's why thinking about Broad Street and elevating its character um, and its presence and its use a little bit more to more of a park-like level. Because I want to say the last time I looked at the traffic counts, the traffic counts are one-third that of, of Market Street. And if you've really been on Market Street any time of the day, you've really experienced this, where I think Market Street's got a throughput of about 25,000 annual vehicle count. Um, and Broad Street is somewhere in the neighborhood of 7,500 hmm. cars. Wow, yeah. And so by state highway, by, by federal highway standards, anything below about 10,000 annual vehicle count is, is um, a candidate for what's known as a road diet, where you might take lanes away from um, the traditional four-lane section of a right. street. Right. I guess I talked about, you know, the, the, the traffic on market and the traffic on, I believe, fourth is what, what you said, right? The, the, the two busy streets downtown, like those are so different than pretty much anywhere else you are downtown. They are. They they have different roles. Again, so, you know, 4th Street brings a lot of commuter traffic to downtown, uh, to both UTC, mm-hmm. to um, Unum and the headquarters and the corporate headquarters in the area. Um, but they're also connecting uh, to the medical mall. Um, and so they're connecting so many people from the region uh, to those areas east of downtown, the eastern most parts of downtown. And so it's very important as we looked at Broad Street and we looked at what I was mentioning about the, uh, the traffic configurations and the engineering study. Broad and, and forth are where it's at uh, as far as <laughs> where a lot of the conflicts are going to happen between yeah. pedestrians and, and vehicles and vehicles and vehicles. And so it's important to know how that configuration will adjust those and change those yeah, yeah. in a safe manner. You said that you, you moved back here around 2000, is that mm-hmm. you said? Mm-hmm. So, so you've been back for 23 years. So a big part of my reporting is around veterans. And I talked to a lot of like World War II veterans. And I will talk to people who grew up in parts of town who will describe that part of town as their childhood. And you can't even imagine it. Mm. From, from there, was, there was one gentleman I talked to who lived on Pine Street, which is now Power Alley, right? Just right up from you know the, the, the river and what that looked like 100 years ago. And you think, boy, I can't even I can't envision that. And you think about even the last 23 years. I mean, like like our downtown has really been through some transformable changes. Uh, you can take different decades and or different 20-year periods for, 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 for that matter. You know, our, our town, our downtown is beautiful, but it, it really has changed a lot even in the period that you've been back. Quite a bit. I mean, quite a bit. The 21st Century Water pro- Project was transformative in that um, there was a limited access highway running I mean, we we basically, in so many terms, declared to the world that we had made it to the river from the Moxon Bend uh, plan to the aquarium being built to the Riverwalk. Um, you know, there, were, there was a lot of investment made sure. in our city returning to the river, but we still had a four lane limited access highway running between the aquarium and the water. Right. Um, and so the waterfront plan and that waterfront strategy really helped. Um, bringing down the tone of that roadway, and so it's much—it's a much more civilized roadway than it was um, when I when I first moved back here. And I think that um, those types of moves sort of rebalance 
our 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 city mm-hmm. into what I think your veterans probably ex- had a lot of experience with. You know, 1920 Chattanooga. If you rewind, even 1930, 35 Chattanooga had vibrant neighborhoods surrounding a downtown connected with one of the largest streetcar networks uh, rivaling San Francisco. Right. And um, I love the fact that you've interviewed um, these individuals that remember those time periods. You know, one of my best friends is Eli Cameron at the Bessie, uh, the Bessie Smith Cultural Center. And he talks about his life growing up in the West Side and on, um, on Cedar Street. Um, next to a Jewish deli, and he lived in a tenement above, and how they used to play stickball on the street on right. Cedar Street, and um, just remember what these. It seems like a very vibrant time period for a lot of people, um, and we've 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 found so many ways I think to be very um, very specific about the way in which we travel, and um, I think a return to balancing out or rebalancing roadway systems for yeah. a lot more uses than just. Uh, the throughput of a car is is what's needed to really experience a healthy connected downtown. Yeah, I remember talking to a man named Ray Chambers, the, the man who lived on Pine Street, and he's and he was saying like when he was a kid that that wasn't considered downtown, right? And you think of it like, well, of course it's downtown, but back when he was growing up in nineteen twenties and thirties, downtown was you know several blocks from where where he grew up. And this the streetcar thing, I was talking to a man named uh, Billy Lyons who grew up in a community called Valdo, which I had to look it up on the map, which is basically where the Waffle House is at Signal Mountain Road and Dayton Boulevard, right? And he talked about the streetcars that would come and go to Chattanooga to Red Bank. And they would would pay a a nickel to take a trip to Chattanooga to eat a picnic lunch and that kind of thing. And so, yeah, I mean, if you look at the history of our town and kind of how people moved around the city, it is fascinating to think about how much has changed over, you know, a generation. It's a generation. Yeah, 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 no, no doubt. I want to hit the the Montague uh, sculpture part before we, we say goodbye here. I know you're working on that as well. Tell us uh, some, some about the plans for that. Absolutely. So another request, um, Scott Martin, who is um, fairly new. I think he's been almost at it for a year, but he's the new director of the Parks and Outdoors Department at Chattanooga. And, um, thank goodness for what he does. We um, were approached by Scott to see if um, we could use our expertise in facilitating a a, pl- a planning process, a planning uh, landscape architecture process for um, reimagining sculpture fields um, and unifying sculpture fields into one vision that would include the sculpture fields at Montague Park and um, the Chattanooga Football Club and uh, youth sports. And so we launched into that process. We did the same thing, um, as I mentioned, with the, the West Side Project. We, we formed a steering committee that would guide us through the process and meeting monthly, doing the same operations. Um, and we... Um, first tasked that steering committee last fall with um, hiring a national-level landscape architect firm, someone that has done this work over and over again in a national stage. Um, and we, we um, narrowed down to three uh, firms, and we interviewed those fir- three firms, and um, we selected Reed Hildebrand out of uh, Cambridge, and um, they proved to be, it was a unanimous vote uh, by the steering committee, and they've proven to, to just be a delight to work with, and um, the steering committee loves their work, and um, we launched the design process in the beginning of this year, so in January of, of 23, um, over several courses of open public meetings, popping up where people are, the Ridgedale Festival, or at La Paz, or at different events. Uh, we've received impact, imp, uh, several different layers of input. We had an open survey uh, for folks to um, do online, which I think we almost um, had about 600 uh, folks take that survey. 
Um, and yeah, so we're at that place again where I think you heard of this about Broad Street. We had three different scenarios. Sure. Uh, we've had three different um, types of ways uh, to configure um, Montague Park. One we called the heart, the other we called the sponge, and the other we called um, the um, the grove. Um, and all, all three of those have different sensibilities about um, tree canopy, um, pathways, and how to configure the space. Um, and I think we're at the place, it looks like we're at the place where we're ready to announce this this uh, this fall and um, a, a festival in the park. Uh, one master plan um, that would combine two of those schemes. So right. you might you might see a little bit of um, the sponge and uh, the heart uh, where you, we might imagine this center of Montague Park being very forested So um, and include sculpture and um, different types of events inside that heart for play, et cetera. Um, you, might, you might think of this as 47 acres in the middle of our downtown where you could go and have an experience where you didn't feel like you were in downtown at right, all, like right. you were in the middle of a, of a wilderness. Um, and what an incredible opportunity really for our city. Um, and so, yeah, so we're very proud of it. I, th- I think that gives you a snapshot of what we've yeah, been doing. Yeah, no, it's great stuff. I really appreciate you coming on today and talking about these projects. Because if you think about all three of those things together you mentioned, uh, that alone added into the bin, added into the stadium project. You know, our city could look a lot different in the next decade, 15 years for sure, because there's a, there's a lot of things going on for sure. It will. It's an exciting time. It's very exciting. Yeah. We have it, a city of opportunity right now. So. No doubt. Eric, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks, Josh. I want to thank Eric Myers again for that enlightening conversation. We plan to follow up with Eric as these projects continue to take shape. During the interview, we mentioned some of the plans for these projects can be found online. I have put those links in the show notes of this episode. I also mentioned in the show recent conversations with two World War II veterans about the parts of Chattanooga where they grew up and how those areas look much different today. I have those links in the show notes as well. We thank you for listening to Tomorrowtown, Tennessee. This podcast is a production of News Channel 9, Fox Chattanooga, and Sinclair Broadcast Group Chattanooga. We hope you join us again real soon. Cereal is a soup you eat in the morning. Just thought you should know that. Save on Cox Internet when you add Cox Mobile and get fiber-powered internet at home and unbeatable 5G reliability on the go. So whether you're playing a game at home Yes, cool! or attending one live, you can do more without spending more. Learn how to save at cox.com slash internet. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial cable. Cox Mobile runs on the network with unbeatable 5G reliability as measured by Ookla LLC in the U.S. to H2023. Results may vary, not an endorsement. Other restrictions apply.